At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we're going to be in uh, chapter 2 this morning. And we're going to begin in verse 8. We're going to go 8 to the rest of the chapter this morning. And um, as you are turning there, we stand right now as a culture at a crossroads where it seems as though this move towards deconstructing things, that everything is on the table for deconstruction. And I'm not saying that all deconstruction is bad. I, I think we should test and we should go back and try and say, hey, it, it, are we, have we really gone astray from what, the, what our foundations are? And I, let me just give you a, a, just a quick example of, of deconstruction that's taking place in real time, in the lives of real people, that is really happening. Several weeks ago, Sarah and I had the opportunity to go work out at the gym, and while we were uh, we had finished working out, we were sitting in the sauna, and we, there was a group of, of three or four boys, high school boys, that went to a local high school. And they were having this conversation. School had just started back up for the new year, and they were complaining about school, like boys do. Um, but they, one of the boys was telling the story about uh, his experience, his first day back after Christmas break, that uh, the counselors of the school had decided that what they were going to do is they needed to understand and take a survey from where all the students were. And so on this survey was a question. I don't know the exact question, but it was phrased similar to this. The young boys talked about this question. The question was this, what gender do you feel you are? High school boys. It was given to everyone in high school, this question. What gender do you feel? And I was, I was pleasantly surprised in the fact that these young boys or young men were communicating. And like, wh what kind of a question is this? was their conversation. What kind of a question is that? What kind of a question? Does that have any kind of context in school? We know that there are only two genders. Like, Boys have part, certain physical parts, and girls have physical parts that make us different. What kind of a question? And their frustration with the conversation was very evident. You see, there's a movement in our culture today to deconstruct gender. And maybe this comes as a pushback because a lot of deconstruction comes, comes as a move towards, hey, this can't be right. right. And I think the heart of this gender deconstruction comes from cultural stereotypes that are very toxic. Right? In our culture today, it's almost like there's this toxic masculinity that is out there that is pervasive in our culture or there's this hypersexualization of femininity out there, and we all we see are these two polar opposites. 
And right, young kids that are growing up, they, they see this everywhere they're at. They see it through social media. They see it through movies. They see it everywhere they go. And so young kids are growing up saying, hey, if these are the two options, I'm neither of those. I don't want to be a, a toxic man and whatever that means, nor do I want to be an over-sexualized woman. So what am I? We've been inundated with questions like, what does it mean to be a man? How should men behave? What does it mean to be a woman? And how should women behave? And these, these questions are coming everywhere. They're coming at the university level, right? They're coming at the high school level. They're coming at the elementary level. Parents, you need to understand like, this is not a time to sit back as a parent and say, hey, it's okay, this is a phase, it's passing through. No, there's deep confusion that is taking place. And we need to understand what God's word has to say. Everything around us, our children are being exposed to this. They're being questions. And young men and women see what it means. And they're questioning because they're like, I'm not that and I'm not that, so what am I? And in the space of this question has come this confusion where people say, well, you're just transgender. That's the answer. Transgenderism is a warped, whirly way of coping with toxic gender stereotypes. Parents, if you have young kids, I want to suggest a resource to you. There's a book entitled God Made Boys and Girls, Helping Children Understand the Gift of Gender. Uh, it's, it's a short read. It's, it's not for, like, middle schoolers. This, this is for the younger kids. It's, it's, it's young kids or uh, three, five, six, seven, eight. Um, it's a great resource that just helps them understand God's design for their gender. This coming Tuesday, Pastor Chris is doing a special Link episode and where he's interviewing Laura. Laura is a woman who has walked through the transgender life, found much confusion, and through it, through the difficulties of that and the challenge of that, the gospel was presented to her and she came to faith in Christ. And I've got a quick clip that I want to show you. You'll be able to uh, log on uh, to our Facebook page on this Tuesday night for the link, and it'll be there uh, for forever because it's the internet. Um, so you can log on to it anytime if you don't get a chance to see it as, as it gets posted. But this is a quick clip from that video. What was that process like both uh, psychologically as well as physically? Yeah, I was actually surprised how easy it was at first because I, I, I looked up in Google. I, I'd never even heard of transgender and this was 2007. I mean, this has changed so radically since then. But I, um, I found this support group of people that felt like I did. And within the first meeting, you know, the first five minutes, they're like, oh, you are definitely transgender. It's like, I knew it. I knew this was me. And I was worried I would never look like a man because I didn't know how to transition. They said, oh, don't worry about it. After a year or so of taking hormones, no one will ever know you were a girl. And that's what I'd wanted to hear all my life. And I was like, and so at that point, I really bought into this wholeheartedly. I didn't want any other opinion. I was, I was in so much pain over being a woman because the, the sexual sin I had gotten into led to so much brokenness and just feeling like I had absolutely no worth or value. So there was no 
ounce of me that wanted to be female ever again. So the fact that they were telling me that I could become a man and erase the existence of Laura and reinvent myself was just everything I ever wanted to hear. So this is a quick clip of a longer conversation that is really, really good. And, and I want us to talk about this today because it matters. It matters in our homes. It matters in our culture. But it also, we see it a lot of times that when difficulties from the culture press up against the church, sometimes the church has not responded in love. Sometimes the church has been very, very quick to be dismissive or to be uh, condemning towards those that are walking in confusion. And that's not our response, right? Our response is always to come to the word of God, to see his words of truth and how our lives might measure up to that truth or it might not. And realizing that the gospel is there because God knows that we need his help. God knows that we're always going to go astray. We're always going to, and our hearts are always going to wander. We're going to stray away from God's truth. And God's truth is here to show us the ways we are to walk in peace and the ways we are to walk in love. And when we find ourselves outside of God's design, that's when grace shows up. That's when God's grace shows up and walks us into his truth and towards his truth. And why does all this matter? It matters because the challenges that are facing the family are also facing the church. And in matters like these, we should always search to find out what God says about them. We should always figure out and search the truth that is found in God's word so that we might know how we might live. Several weeks ago, we started this series entitled Church, Why Bother?, And we've been looking at how the family of God, how we as the family of God are supposed to live inside the context of this new institution called the church that God has given us so that we may live out our Christian faith. And and Paul, who is the Apostle Paul, writes the letter, 1 Timothy, to a young pastor, Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And his concern in writing this letter was to help Timothy be equipped for shepherding this group of people that were deeply, that find themselves deeply embedded in a culture that was anti-gospel. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy, saying, we've been entrusted with this gospel. We must care for this gospel, especially as we live within a hostile culture. And so Paul is helping Timothy establish how the church is supposed to be. And so today, as we look at verses 8 through 15, what we're going to see is Paul's emphasis on our conduct and our behavior that men and women who profess Christ, how we are supposed to live when we gather together for our times of worship, when we gather together as the church. And so these are the instructions that he gives us. And in these instructions today, what he is telling us is that we need to understand that gender and our culture has stereotypes that they try to impress upon our lives that should be pushed back against inside the context of our weekly gatherings, inside the context of our community. So the big idea today as we enter into this text is that Christian men and women should be known for their gospel-centered behavior and we should reject cultural stereotypes. Let's look first in verse 8 as Paul gives us this divinely inspired word that doesn't come from himself 
but it comes from the spirit that is within him. This is what he says, quite simply in verse 8. He says, first of all, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So what we see from this text is that men should be known for their spiritual passion. Men should be known for their spiritual passion. Now, I want us to understand that these instructions do not just apply to the church at Ephesus. These words that we're going to see that come following this are for every church everywhere for all time that are being led by spiritual men. That's why he says, I desire then that in every place. Now, his, his every place is every place. Right? Every place where the church is, these are instructions that he desires to give order as we gather together. For without where there is no order, chaos reigns. And so this is God's body. This is God's thing that he is doing. This is his institution that has order. Right? We know even in our own home where there is no order, chaos reigns. Right? In the church, if there is no order, then chaos is going to reign. And so this is what he's saying, his instructions for all church, for all time. We see that there are two, two institutions that God has given, two of the three institutions that God has clearly designed and given instructions for leadership, right? Both in the home and in the church, God clearly says that they should be led by men. The man in the home is to be the leader of the home. In the church, spiritual men, called out men, are to be leaders of the church. The third institution, that of government, which we talked a little bit about last week, that can be, that, that can be led by either. There is, no, there is no instructions for that. So in the corporate world, in the governmental world, in everything that's outside the church and the home, women can do anything. Men can do anything. There is, there's no prohibition. There is no restriction. There is no pulling back. But in these two institutions that God has given us, we see there's male leadership. And this has been misused and misapplied. And I want to walk gently through the text. And I'm, there are way more questions in this text that I have time to answer. So I am open to a conversation. I am open to hearing your thoughts and uh, understanding that. So if you'd like to grab lunch, if you want to send me an email, I am glad to continue the conversation with you. But simply in the time that we see here, I want us to simply understand that there are roles that God has given us inside the church that we should walk in our maleness in the church and women should walk in their femaleness inside of the church. That these are not boundaries that God gives us, but God gives us to walk in the freedom of our identity. But he also tells us how we should live so that we may be in peace and in order inside of the church. So, unlike how Paul has used the word men in other parts of 1 Timothy, other parts we talked about that he's talking about all mankind, Right? When God desires for all men to be saved, he's not talking about the gender men. He's talking about mankind as a whole. Here, Paul's using a very different world word where he means men, males, inside of the church. This is what is required. So in all churches, men should humbly pray. Men should 
deep, connect deeply with God. He says this idea of, of lifting holy hands was the posture at that time of prayer. Where, where when the church would gather to pray, people instead of holding their hands like this and bowing their head, they would lift their hands, their palms towards heaven. And they would pray, sometimes with their eyes closed, sometimes with their eyes open. But they would communicate deeply to God their needs. They would bring together before God the needs of the people, the needs of their community. And they would beg God to intercede in the challenges that they faced that day. This was God's design for the church. God prohibits men from praying and ex- praying in anger and exhibiting anger. God pro- prohibits us. So in essence, what, what Paul is saying is that the, leader, the male leaders of the church must lead by example, by, by living in worship of God and being at peace with others. The leaders of the church should be men of peace. Not men that are seeking to divide, not stirring up dissension. And in this case, not all men are qualified to lead in this way. Not every male in the church is qualified to lead in this way. But there should be some men that are qualified. And in the same way that men are called to lead their, the church in this way, we're called as men to lead in our homes in this way. Our kids should know, our wives should know that we are praying people. That we don't, we don't step into our family and say, hey, I'm God of this family. I'm the provider, I'm the protector, I'm all. No, we, we go before God saying, God, I need your help in everything. God, I need your help in everything. Where we lift our hands towards the Lord and we seek not to quarrel and we seek not to fight. You see, sometimes... People get bent out of shape sometimes because they're like, well, what, what is all of this maleness about? Why, why is it this way? Somebody has to lead. Somebody has to lead. Right? Remember even as a kid being, being on, in the schoolyard or at school in the gym and you guys play a pickup game of basketball or a pickup game of football. What happens? What's the first thing that happens? You have to pick captains. Right? If you don't pick captains, there's you're not playing, you're playing like elementary soccer where it's mob. There's no one leading, it's just the mob. You can't even play a game unless you have captains because you got to pick teams first. And we, we don't balk at that. We know we need to be led. And this is what God simply says. He's not talking about a value in any way. He's not giving that distinction. Instead, he's just saying there's a distinction in roles. And what Paul is encouraging, we need to dig deeper, and I wish we had more time, but what Paul is encouraging is the men of Ephesus to push back against the cultural stereotype of what it meant to be a man in their day. What it meant to be a man in the day of the Ephesians was men were known by their anger. Men were known by their anger. You were a more powerful man if you could exhibit more anger and aggravation and agitation. That was like something to be highlighted, that you were a man if you could walk around and everyone's like, that guy's an angry dude. You were accepted by culture. To be a man was to be angry. To be a man was to be a man that was divisive. That's what it meant to be a man. And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not what it means to be a man. 
A man is deeply in touch with his creator. A man walks deeply and humbly before the Lord, realizing that he's not God and that he needs God in every aspect of his life. So men in the church, we are to be known by our walk. We're to be known by our prayer. We're to be known by our peace. And when we abdicate those responsibilities, when we abdicate those roles, what happens? Chaos, division, disunity, corruption. You see, this this is a call for men, and men, I'm talking to you today. This is a call for us as men to move out of isolation into community. Oh, I know we can do it all by ourselves. I know I don't need nobody. I don't need nothing. I'm all by myself. I understand that. But that's from your culture. That's what culture has spoken into your life. That's not what the gospel speaks into your life. The gospel speaks into our lives that we are to be men that don't live in isolation by ourselves, but we live in community where we're rubbing shoulders with other men, where we band together with other men saying, hey, I don't got this. I I, I don't have this. I need God's help. I need you. To be a man means that we communicate. It means that we care It means that we are called to to lead that brings order and peace. Second, women should be known for their gospel substance. And again, I don't have the time. I wish I I had hours and hours and hours to dialogue about all the beauty that's in these next few verses. And I've I've also found it interesting that here, it's, it's like Paul gives like simple instructions, it seems like, to men, and then gives like this list to women, right? Like, like the amount of text is, is disproportionate. But now I want you, not now, but later on, I want you to go uh, to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to see how that's all flipped when it gets into the home. Right? There are women in, in the home, Paul says this much. And then to the men, he says this much, Okay? It's just what we need to hear, okay? So let's, let's walk through this text, and I'll try to walk through it quickly and carefully to explain what Paul is saying and what we need to understand today. So women are, should be known by their gospel substance. Look with me in verse 9. He says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if you then continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. First of all, I want to push back against the fact that there have been misogynistic men that have come to this passage, ripped it completely out of context, and used it to validate their mistreatment of women. That is a tragedy. Because that's not what's happening in this text. This text is not demeaning women's positions in the church. No, it's lifting 
the role of a woman up. It's lifting her up to equal standing. And I'll explain that more when we get into this. So what Paul is getting into, he's saying likewise. He's saying just as there are instructions for orderly worship for men, so there are for women. And what Paul is doing here is he again is pushing back against the cultural stereotypes that women embraced at this time. So Paul is saying, hey, let go of that worldly identity and jump into and embrace this new gospel identity that will lead to peace, that will lead to order, that will lead to the gospel being expanded, not only in this place, but beyond this place. So the challenge of their day was women needed to feel like they needed to display their worth in outward appearances which did two things inside of the church. One, when, when women would adorn themselves with expensive things because somehow they're, they're trying on an outwardly way to, to show their worth as an individual, what they were doing was two things inside the church. First, they were coming into the church body and immediately causing there to be distinctions. Because what they were doing with their wear was there are those that have and there are those that have not. That has no place inside of the church. So women that had more money or pretended that they had more money would come into the church and they would adorn themselves in all of these ways. And what it was doing inside the church, it was dividing the church. The second thing it was doing, it was bringing distractions into the church. People were there not focusing on the word of God and the teaching of the word of God, but people were focused in on other women. And th this is true in our day, too, that, that it's e easy to be distracted when we come to worship. Lots of things can happen when we become distracted. But what Paul is, is getting at is saying that for women in this place, there's a proper way for women to walk in this place that can promote peace. And there's a way in which women can come into this place and cause a lot of distraction and disunity. But then he goes on to verse 11. And when you generally read verse 11, like you should have a lot of questions. Like, what is Paul talking about here? Like, is he literally saying that women are, are not to speak and they're, they're not, not to have any role or any position? And that's not what Paul is getting at. But we get to verse 11, and I want to break these down for you. Again, Paul is talking about proper order when it comes to the church gathering, when it comes to the time where the word of God is preached and proclaimed and where we gather together for corporate worship. This is what he's saying. He's saying, let a woman... Learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, what Paul is not doing here is he's not degrading the role of women. Instead, what Paul is saying is, let women learn. In the culture, it was not cool for women to learn. Women had no access to any type of education. The only people that could go and get educated were men. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, let women learn. Because of the gospel, we all have equal footing at the cross. So he's saying, give women a seat at the table. No longer are they second-class citizens to be overlooked or to be discarded. Instead, let them learn. And let them learn quietly in all submissiveness. Now, again, 
what Paul is saying is your, your, um, your version might say silence. That is a terrible translation of the word. This word quiet is the same idea that was written earlier in chapter 2 when Paul says, we should pray for those in authority over us so that we may live quiet, peaceful lives. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about peace, not the actual sound of their voice. He's not saying that women should come into church and be seen and not heard. That's not what he's saying. Paul is saying is let women, let women learn. Give them a seat at the table. Give them an opportunity to engage in the word of God so that they may grow in godliness, so that they may walk like Jesus. And in this submissiveness, is not submissiveness in the sense of they are to sit back and have blind obedience. No, they're coming under the teaching of the word of God. Not, not elevating themselves over the word of God. Not, not seeking to be um, prognosticators of the word of God. But allowing the word of God to be taught. And then they learn. And then they submit to the word of God. Like we all should. Right? We're all called to submit to the word of God. And he goes on. So this is an understanding of authority. What he's talking about. And women are called to submit to the authority of their husbands. Women are called to submit to the leaders of the church. But women in the church are not called to submit to every man in the church. When you come into this place, women, you're not called to submit to every man. Because not every man is qualified to be a leader. Not every man is qualified to be a pastor or elder. And we're going to talk more about those roles in, in the coming weeks as Paul discusses those. But for right now, we need to understand that we are called to submit to the leadership. We're all called to submit to the leaders that are in authority over us. All right, then he goes on. He says, I do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Again, the context of this teaching is not all teaching in the church. But I heard one writer say what Paul is talking about is the big T teaching of the gathering. Right, so he's not permitting women to have authority over man or to exercise authority over man or to teach men. This is not a statement of gifting. This is a statement of order. And culturally at the time, there was this female-led cult of the Temple of Diana. In this cult that was prevalent in the culture, women dominated all things and so what Paul is saying is, he's saying, like, you see that out there? That's not supposed to happen here. That, that doesn't happen here. Instead, we live in peace and order where we walk in our roles. So women of Ephesus should not seek to be domineering over the elders. But they are to trust, or not trust, but they are to walk in with the spiritual leaders. Paul is not decreeing that women be silent. He's not saying that they should not talk, but he's saying that women should not be disruptive. The authority is to be from the elder. The teaching is from that. And what I want us to understand is the goal, the purpose of learning that Paul is talking about in the Christian life, the purpose of learning is not, not to be a teacher, it's, that's not like the, the, the steps of um, growth 
right? Like we see in, in the world, right, you start off in the mailroom and the goal is to work your way up to the corner office, right? That, that, that's, that's progression that we see in the world. And, and Paul's saying that's, that's not the goal inside the church. The church, the, the, this echelon of the highest is not to be teacher. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're learning, the goal of learning is obedience. The goal of learning is godliness. He says that's the goal. You want to strive for something? Don't don't strive to be a teacher. Don't strive to be the teacher. Strive to be like Jesus. That's where learning takes place. But also, James says this. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So even James is like, hey, there's not some growth towards teaching. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is obedience and godliness. So the role of teaching is something that is, is a calling upon a person in this context, in the weekly gather. So the purpose of learning is holiness. And so in this context of the worship gathering, women are prohibited from exercising biblical authority over man. In, in some ways, that would be like going into a war room, a military war room, right, where you've got the generals all over here and all that. And then you've got this private that comes in, and he sits down at the table, and he says, guys, this is what we're going to do. That's out of line, Right? That's out of step. That, 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 that private has every value inside the army. Right? He, he's a part of the team. He's an integral part of it, but, he's, but that's not his lane at that time. He's walking outside of his lane. So in the gathering, women are expected to participate in every way, but men are called to lead out in the church. Now, I know from my own experience The church would not be the church if it wasn't for the faithfulness of women. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've had godly women speak into my life and be faith shapers in my life. Timothy had godly women in his life that were faith shapers in his life. His mom was a believer and his grandmother was a believer. They were the ones speaking into his life. And so we're not talking about devaluing women. Women have such an important place. Our church could not be our church if it wasn't for the faithfulness of women. We have women leading in many, many ministries. We have women serving in multiple capacities. And we see the results of of the, the way in which the gospel works inside of the church. Well, let's continue on because this text not more difficult, but people try to pick it apart in a way that, that makes it say something that it doesn't. So let's, let's go on. Paul, Paul goes on. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So verses 13 and 14 should be read in light of verse 11. The re- reason that women are to learn is they must have a deep understanding of the gospel so they can avoid deception. Right? Women should learn so they sh- would not become deceived. Men should learn so we don't go awry, so that we don't deceive others in our teaching. But women should learn so that they, don't, so they are not deceived by any teacher. 
Women should be active learners so that when the word of God is proclaimed in the weekly gathering, they shouldn't just soak it in. They should be discerning of it. Where they're like, no, I know what that pastor just said was out of line with scripture. Women are to learn so that they are not deceived. Now, Paul is going all the way back to the garden. And I want you to understand what's going on here. We don't have time to fully unpack it. But if you go back in your Bible this afternoon, go to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And you'll see this. That the law or the words of the Lord and the prohibition against eating from the tree, God gave directly to Adam before Eve was even in the picture. So the words that Adam was supposed to lead his family through were given before Eve showed up. And it was Adam's responsibility to teach God's word to his wife. Then what takes place is they're out in the garden one day and the serpent shows up and the serpent's like, hey, hey, did God really say? And if you look at Eve's words, God's prohibition was do not eat from this tree. Eve, then when the serpent is there because it is a pleasing and appealing to her, she says, that God not only gave the prohibition from not eating, but they weren't to touch it, which was not true, which was not part of God's word. And here's the scary thing, right? This woman, Eve, is walking through a season of deception, and her husband, who was the owner of the truth, is sitting there silent. Shame on him. He knew the word of God. He knew that his wife was being tempted, and he did not step in and say, hey, babe, Hey, remember what God said? Like, I love you, but we don't want to go down this path. Instead, no, he sits back and he hears her being deceived and he doesn't step in. That's a great danger. And then the fall. And now we live in the consequences of all of this for all time and for all day. And so Paul is saying, hey guys, like women learn Women learn so that you can understand, but men, you also got to, we, we've got to, we, this is a team thing, right? We don't, when, when one of us is tempted, we don't like throw everything out and we're like, okay, let's run after every temptation. No, no, we keep each other from temptation. We guard each other's hearts. We guard each other as we're walking this thing towards the gospel. Then lastly, in, in this verse of this passage, we see, yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. And some of you women that may not understand the context of this passage, you're like, what? What? You, there's gotta be something more because this, that doesn't make sense. It's not computing. Let me simply explain it to you and we can dialogue about it deeper later. One of the consequences of the fall was that women would have deep pain in childbearing. What Paul is simply trying to remind women of is that the power of the curse that they endure is not more powerful than that of the gospel and salvation. That's what he's putting it up against. He's saying, we walk in the results of the curse. Men walk in the results of the curse. Women walk in the results of the curse. But the power of the curse is not more powerful than the gospel. That's what Paul is simply saying. And he's saying for all women. And, and he's not saying that, that you have to have a child in order to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying the power of sin and the consequences of sin are not more powerful than the power of the gospel for salvation. 
Does that make sense? I know there's a lot, and I know we could talk about this forever. But in essence, what Paul is inviting women and men to do inside of the church is to reject the cultural stereotypes that are placed upon us. You want to know what it means to be a man? Walk with Jesus. You want to know what it means to be a woman? Walk with Jesus. That's what it means. And together we walk together. Because of what Christ has done, we have new life. Christ came to cure us from the curse that was given to us as a result of our rebellion. And we all can be saved, but our salvation is not going to come through our works. It's not going to come through living in the role of the church. No, that's, we don't earn salvation that way. We get salvation through faith in Christ, and then we walk in the way that God has designed us. Church, I know there's a lot of confusion out there in the world today. And I know that there's even maybe a part of you that wants to push back against the teaching of the word because of your experience. And I understand the reality of that. Or maybe today, as you've listened to God's word, you're like, wait, I'm way out, I'm outside of my lane. And maybe you just need to come to the Lord and just say, God, today I'm sorry. I'm sorry for stepping outside of your, your design. Please help me by your power to walk back into your design. Maybe as a man, you have, in your home, you've been leading from a place of anger. Maybe you need to repent of that today. Instead of being anger, we, in our home, should be men of prayer. Do your kids see you praying? Do your kids know that you're praying? Do your kids know that they have a problem, they can come to you, and they know that you're going to intercede before the Father on their behalf? Do they know that about you? Because that should be the case. I pray that God's word would bring conviction, but not condemnation. We're all going to mess up. And if you find yourself this morning outside of God's design, come back to him and receive his mercy, receive his grace, and know that you are loved. Let's pray together. Father, I'm firmly aware that this teaching today is going to rest on each one of us differently. That each one of us are going to be challenged in a different way and are being challenged. But Father, I pray that in this moment, you would continue to give us a submissive heart to the truth of your word. Father, your desire is that in this place, we, this is a place of worship, this is a place of prayer, this is a place of teaching and godliness. Help us, God, to walk in that in a way that will honor you and bring peace in this place. Father, I pray as we sing this song, this closing song, that you continue to work in our hearts and continue to work in our minds so that we may be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.